Good morning and happy January, everybody. I guess we're a few weeks into it now. It's it's uh, it's 70 degrees where we are here in central Alabama. Very normal, very normal thing for the middle of January. Uh, but we we roll on. We 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 trudge into the off season. It's been a weird one so far. Um, I, I guess that's fairly normal for for life in the SEC. And I'm joined by two guys who cover all the ins and outs of the madness of the Southeastern Conference. That would be Matt Zenitz and John Talty. And guys, we're you know we're, we're in in the midst here. I think things are finally starting to settle down a little bit, but. What that means is we have a chance to look around the conference and take stock of things and, and the new status quo that we're going to be dealing with going forward. And we're going to talk about a couple of, of big-time programs in the SEC and their new coaching staffs and what we think of them so far. But before we get to those, we have to talk about the one that's not assembled yet, and that's the one at Tennessee right now, uh, where they are currently looking for a new head coach with a new AD. Um, in Danny White from from UCF, which was heralded as a big hire for Tennessee at the athletic director position. Um, John, I know you you've done a lot of reporting in recent years uh, about that sort of side of the business about athletic directors, and it's it's not always the sexiest part of uh, covering sports, but it's very important and it's crucial to understanding kind of how all this stuff happens and what's going on. What what has what has been I guess your feelings and and just in general around the league and around the country about Danny White and how and what that hire means for Tennessee? Yeah, it's it's a hire that's gotten a lot of praise and is viewed as a strong hire for Tennessee. You know, if you look at some of the recent issues that they've had, you know, a lot of it's been the fact that they haven't really had stable leaders, you know, at the AD position. And, and Phil Fulmer, you know, won a, a national championship as a head coach. But, you know, from everything I've heard talking to different people, you know, wasn't exactly the most hands-on AD. You know, I think he liked going to football practice. I think he liked hanging out with some boosters. But he wasn't really kind of running the day-to-day operation of that athletic department, which is why I think we saw some of the issues that we've seen over the last couple of years. And so Danny White is someone who is known as a strong fundraiser. He's going to be able to raise a lot of money at Tennessee, but probably most importantly for this specific discussion is he has a really strong track record as an AD in terms of hiring coaches, you know, at Buffalo uh, where he got his first AD job, hired people like Nate Oates. Uh, he hired Lance Leopold, who's been a name that's, you know, uh, gotten a ton of attention, I think for other jobs goes down to, UCF as AD and hires Scott Frost, who had a lot of success there before he went to Nebraska. And so he's made really strong hires. And so I think, you know, Tennessee hiring Danny White, uh, I'm sure a lot of the hope is that he's going to be able to hire a really strong candidate for this football position, because that's really kind of, I think, what he's best known for uh, in the AD community. So before we start talking about potential names that are out there and how realistic we think any of that stuff is, Matt, I, I do I do think it's an interesting time to be out on the market trying to hire a head coach. You know, we, we've we've seen some programs I think make moves that surprised us this offseason in terms of the decision to make a change at, at head coach. Um, I don't know that we've necessarily seen anybody make a hire that that is sort of universally praised as a, a slam dunk improvement over where they were. 
what, what's your what's your feeling about this the sort of situation that Tennessee's in right now? Is this is this a is this a bad time to be trying to hire a coach? Well, it's a bad time because of some of the circumstances, especially surrounding the, the Tennessee program right now. So I, under normal circumstances, this is, this would be one of the, the more attractive jobs on a, a national level, whereas right now, because of everything going on in terms of this investigation and the potential sanctions and, and postseason penalties that could come along with this, I, I think Tennessee is going to be much more challenged than they would be under normal circumstances to find an ideal candidate. That said, it's still a prestigious program, prestigious school. There's still going to be some respected people in the coaching world interested in it. And while, um, just to repeat what I said in terms of them maybe being more challenged than they would I, under normal circumstances, I, I think you'll you'll see some, some people who, like I said, are, are very much respected in the coaching world, potentially be involved with this. And just to throw one out there, outside of like the the current head coaches that they may target, one of the popular names in the the coaching world right now, as far as a, a potential person of interest with Tennessee, is Tony Elliott at, at Clemson. So I couldn't tell you the extent of communication at this point or anything like that. But there's a a, a lot of buzz at this point that he's at the very least somebody who could get a look there at. Tennessee. But one of the things, and John, uh, John, John can touch on this also, or I, I, I'm sure knows about this with, with Danny White, but his track record is definitely swinging for the fences and, and trying to, to make splash hires when it comes to these head coach openings. So regardless of some of the challenges, I, I would anticipate him swinging big, even if he ends up missing on some of his top people. So, so that's an interesting uh, aspect of this, because I, I don't know I don't know what swinging big looks like right now. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, John, how you feel about that because I, I would also say that you've got, you've got friends and family members who are part of the Tennessee fan base. And uh, I, I've certainly been, that's right. I, I, I've certainly been aware of that fan base for a long time and, and watch a lot of their interactions on Twitter you know, they've got a little bit of a reputation at this point of having extremely high expectations for their job. And, you know, I, I don't know how realistic some of those things are. What, what's what's your feeling about, I guess, what what would constitute a big swing uh, at this point? That that's That's not completely ridiculous. That's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Well, that's a hard thing because <laughs> they go hand in hand. I mean, I'll tell you, one of the names that I've seen some people throw out there is James Franklin at Penn State. And so I don't expect James Franklin to happen. But And I think if people know me well, they know I'm not the biggest Franklin fan. So I don't know if I would personally consider that a home run hire. But I think nationally that would be perceived as a home run hire. It's a big him, name for sure, yeah. yeah. To take him from Penn State. Again, I don't expect that to happen, but I've seen that as a name that's been thrown out there. Um, you know, I'm sure there are fans that would love Matt Campbell, which seems like everybody wants him. Uh, I don't think Matt Campbell is happening, uh, but that's a name that I think people would consider as a, a home run type hire. It's tough because, like you said, Squeezy, I think if you look around, there have been some very good hires, in my opinion, but – it's hard for me to really pinpoint what you would consider a home run hire during this hiring cycle. You know, Vanderbilt made a hire that made a lot of sense, but he was a, an assistant. Texas made a hire that I think makes sense, but he was an assistant coach. You know, you look at 
Auburn hires Brian Harson, probably the most, you know, well-regarded, most accomplished of the big name hires this year. But, you know, he wasn't stolen from a Power 5 program. Uh, South Carolina hires Shane Beamer, who's well-regarded, but he was, you know, a career assistant and never been a coordinator before. So, you know, it's hard to, I think, find that home run hire in some regard because guys are making so much money at so, at so many different levels now that there's not as much incentive sometimes to jump into a, a situation that's not maybe ideal because they're already making a bunch of money. And I'll give you a great example of that. Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is a guy that would probably be great for Tennessee, but he's already making, I think, three or $4 million at Cincinnati. And so, yeah, Tennessee could bump him up to five, maybe five and a half. But if you're Fickle, you're already making that much. You, you're more inclined to just wait it out for something even better than Tennessee. And so Tennessee does have some challenges uh, in that regard. But I th- like I think uh, Zenit said, I think there will be candidates that are interested in this job. And I think that, you know, they'll be able to hire somebody who I think is well-regarded. But the kind of the big swing, stealing from another SEC school or something like that, I, I think it's going to be hard to do. That is, that is an interesting part of this, John, the fact that the group of five – the sort of top end of the group of five has more money to throw at coaches now than they, than they used to. And that's changed the dynamic a little bit. It's changed kind of the cycle of coaching hires and, and the, the career path for some of these guys. I, I well, not to cut you off, but you can say yeah. the same thing with coordinators too, you know, coordinators yeah. are making two, $3 million a year to just be a coordinator. So do you want to add a million dollars to be a head coach and get all of those extra responsibilities? Like that's what makes it tough too. Like it's, it's a challenging situation. For sure. I I would say, I I think right now, one of the things that, that, you know, and I, I tweeted about this whole situation with Tennessee and, and mostly just asking, is this that much better of a job than some of these other schools? I specifically mentioned Ole Miss because there are of course some Tennessee fans who um, are clamoring for Lane Kiffin to come back to Tennessee where he spent one year before leaving for USC. But my my question about this was, is that really that much better of a job than Ole Miss? I mean, and, and one, you know, the arguments that get thrown back at you a lot are tradition. And yes, Tennessee has much richer, deeper tradition than Ole Miss does. And money is the other one that gets thrown out there. I just don't know that the money advantage from school to school is quite what it used to be. Um, but, you know, Matt, what are, what are your thoughts on just in terms of that dynamic of you could stay at a place where maybe you're going to make less money, but they love you. The expectations are lower. And look, I, I know, I know coaches are a different breed. What, what's kind of your thought on that side of things? Well, first of all, I appreciate the the subtle uh, promotion of Mascalisi's Twitter account. I mean, Mascalisi, People that don't follow Look, him, does it. I don't recommend not- it. I don't recommend it to anybody, but knock yourself out. There's not a person, reporter wise, in the state of Alabama or that covers the SEC that Nick Lutzko loves more on Twitter than Masculine. Just to throw that one out there. Uh, but wait, what, what was your question again? I got sidetracked. I guess uh, just my, my, my thought I, I'd like to know what you think about the idea of you can, you can stay at a smaller program and make really yeah, good no, money no, or you no, can go to a place that has much higher expectations for, you know, s- some more money. Yeah. T- Tennessee is obviously going to have more financial resources than, than a lot of schools uh, around the country. The thing that once again, and that probably sound repetitive right now saying this, the thing that's going to make it for uh, challenging for Tennessee 
uh, in particular is this investigation that's still ongoing and the potential postseason penalties that would come uh, along with that. I mean, otherwise, regardless of what the program has been recently and coming off the, the season that, that they were, if there was no potential of postseason penalties or this investigation go, going on, you, you would see uh, more high profile people involved in this search than what I think you'll ultimately end up saying, which I think John would agree with. I would. And again, I mean, I've reported in the past. I mean, Hugh Freeze is interested in this job. And so, you know, the circumstances at play rule him out from everything I understand from this job. But I mean, that's obviously a big name that would want this job. And I think there would be others. Um, but again, between coming in, I mean, you've essentially lost your entire first recruiting class coming in where you did. You've got guys leaving left and right for transfer portal. Plus, you know, anybody who takes this job is going to want to know, you know, what am I walking into here? Am I about to face a two-year bowl ban? And so I also think one thing to add in is just whoever takes this job, I would expect to get, you know, probably at least a six-year contract, maybe even a little longer, especially if it's a bigger name, because you're not leaving a good situation to come into Tennessee and lose two years right off the bat. And yep. then, you know, all of a sudden you got two years left in your deal and you're getting forced out. You know, people are going to want to know there's a commitment, both financially and years-wise, you know, if they're going to come there. And I'm guessing and they end up turning yeah, and, and no, sorry to cut you off, Matt. Wait, one thing I'll add in also, just because we've talked about this before, so I'll follow up on it. Uh, wait, one of the names that, that John and I heard about going back, even before Jeremy Pruitt was fired, to keep an eye on if this job did open up, wait, was Gus Malzahn. And, and at this point, if you got somebody like Gus in there, I, I think that would be a win for Tennessee in this kind of situation. But at the same time, ever since the job came open, I, I have not heard Gus's name on my end. There has not been anywhere near – uh, the amount of rumblings that there were prior to Jeremy Pruitt getting fired and something that's worth keeping in mind with that. I obviously, and I, I don't think this is a secret at this point, uh, have the, the Kevin Steele-Gus di- dynamic that played out at Auburn. Kevin Steele, obviously the interim head coach at Tennessee there. I, I wonder, just considering the circumstances, if uh, Kevin's been given any assurances that he'll be part of the next head coach's staff or anything like that. But the, the Kevin connection there to me, very much lessens the the potential of Gus uh, being any sort of possibility there. And just to emphasize once again, even though there were rumblings leading up to uh, the, the point when Jeremy was let go about Gus being somebody to keep an eye on, really have not heard anything on my end recently about him being somebody worth keeping an eye on. I I have to think that Gus is Gus is going to emerge at some point. Maybe Maybe it's in the next coaching cycle, but – you know, just a guy that had way too much success for us to just see him disappear from the coaching scene after after what he did at Auburn. So we'll see. We'll keep we'll keep an ear out for our old friend Gus. And, and one thing I'll add in about Gus also. So I, I'm not sure uh, from a percent standpoint just the, the likelihood of him taking a year off versus getting another job or anything like that. I do think we'll see Gus again at some point in in the near future. But we were talking to. A coach that, that he has a, a good relationship with recently, and one of the things that, that Gus brought up during the course of the conversation is, I mean, Gus hasn't been out of work for, for that long, but referenced during the course of that conversation that he's already a little bit bored. So I, I would think <laughs> I, I, I would think for Gus that there would definitely be an interest there to, to get back into to coaching at some point soon. Obviously, whenever an opportunity presents itself, that it's worth taking. It does not surprise me about him uh, at all. So speaking of Auburn, by the way, let's let's talk about Auburn for a minute. They've now uh, got their on-field coaching staff assembled at this point. The, the the whole staff has been officially announced. 
<clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I think there's, it, it's an interesting group. It's a mix of familiar names and, and names that if you don't follow Boise State, you may be not as familiar with. But I'm curious from you guys, and, and I'll start with you, Talti. What, what's your feeling, I, I guess, about the, the overall staff that Harson has assembled here and kind of how they stack up, how they fit in in the rest of the SEC? Well, I think the biggest question for Harson was just what's the ex, what's going to be the SEC flavor of this staff? You know, because he really hadn't spent any time down south except that year at Arkansas State, and I think he went pretty heavy on it. You know, I think I'm sure Zans will get into this. You know, Derek Mason, I think, is a great hire as defensive coordinator. You know, he was a guy who had other opportunities. I think that's a really strong hire. Will Friend has been around the SEC. He's a guy who knows how to do things. You know, probably also smartly. You know. Got out of Tennessee, went to South Carolina for a hot minute, and then, you know, taking him. Um, you know, Mike Bobo, I think, is a name that, you know, some people like. I think fans are probably a little, you know, meh about. But I think he's you know, certainly a well-known name from the SEC. And, you know, I think he hired some other smart hires. I like Cornelius Williams, uh, who he hired from Troy. He's a former Hoover wide receiver, uh, knows a bunch of people around the state. So I think that they did a pretty good job, you know, where does it stack up the rest of the SEC? I mean, it's hard to say until we kind of see what they do uh, from a recruiting and coaching standpoint. You know, I think uh, – I know we'll get into this later. You know, I think just the way Saban has reloaded his Alabama staff, I think I would put that above uh, Harson's initial Auburn staff. But I do think he made some really strong hires and I think got the necessary SEC experience and knowledge on this first staff to be able to compete. Matt, I, I'm specifically on – the defensive side of the ball. What are your thoughts on on the staff that Auburn has coming in there? I mean, it's it's again, it, it's a group headed by somebody that SEC fans are already familiar with. But it, you know, this is a this is a, a part of the team that wasn't necessarily lacking. It wasn't necessarily the, the defensive side of the ball is not why Auburn is making a coaching change here necessarily. So, mm -hmm. how, how do we feel? I guess about the group coming in on that side. Well, first of all, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with now his one remaining opening once again, since it looks like Tracy Rocker That's right. is leaving for the, the NFL. But at, at the same time, and I'll just take this to staff as a whole, just to piggyback on, on what John was saying. I, I think what you've seen as this staff came together is a nice combination of coaches that, that Harson had history with, certain comfort level with, mixed in with guys who have ties to, to not only this region, but specifically the SEC, and then also ties to this area from a recruiting standpoint. So I think there's a nice balance there from that perspective to go along with the fact that you have a, a couple of former head coaches on your, on your staff wait, with Derek Mason and Mike Bobo. You know, you're starting to see some of the support staff hires come into to play where you, you have uh, Bodie Reeder, who's been hired as an offensive analyst, who, who's been an OC at three different spots, and I, I'm sure it'll be a valuable sounding board behind the scenes. So to me, that's probably the biggest thing that sticks out, just that nice balance there of guys who there was pre-existing relationship with, comfort level with, to, to go along with coaches who have ties to region, SEC, uh, guys who, who have played, coached it at Auburn previously, and then once again, the recruiting part of it, it is important to, to go along with that and coaches who have familiarity and relationships down in this part of the country already. 
Yeah, and and they're going to they're going to need to do some quick work when it comes to recruiting because I'm looking at the 24/7 sports recruiting rankings right now and even though they're they're really only about halfway done with their class in terms of committed players uh, Auburn is basically barely inside the top 50 nationally. They're, they're one spot ahead of Vanderbilt in the 24-7 rankings. So they're in a rough spot right now, and, and they don't have a ton of time to close the deal, and they don't have a lot of, you know, b- because of how recruiting has changed and how the, the December signing period um, has now become sort of the main signing day, there just aren't that. There's not a very large margin of error for this this coaching staff to finish this recruiting this recruiting class in a way that will not hamper them going forward. Um, do do you guys do you guys see that as factoring into? You know, I I, I mean, I'm sure that obviously Harson made some of his hires with recruiting in mind, but when you look at this staff, either of you. Does it seem like it's going to be good enough long term to be more competitive with the the upper echelon of the SEC? I'll let you lead in with with, with <laughs> it's a tough one. I'm I'm you know look we're, we're I mean, speculating. I think the here's I think one of the big questions is that we just don't really know enough of what Brian Harson can do at an SEC level because if you look around the SEC of who does the best. I mean, Nick Saban is an absolutely relentless recruiter. Kirby Smart is a relentless recruiter. The guys who are signing the most upper echelon classes, you know, their head coaches are doing a lot. I mean, as much as people thought Gus might have been boring, he was a good recruiter. I mean, he really built a strong connection and was able to sign big-name guys. And, you know, we've seen Ed Ogeron, a relentless recruiter. And so – my question would be is what does Brian Harson himself do at this level? Because, you know, a guy like, you know, I think Cadillac will do a pretty good job recruiting. You know, I think Will Friend is a pretty good recruiter. I mean, they have some guys on staff. I think Derek Mason, you know, at a school like Auburn should do a pretty good job. But it, I think it does start from the top. And so whether they are kind of a middle-of-the-pack SEC school recruiting or more of the top three, four, or five, I think depends on Harson. All right, let's uh, let's spin it to the other side of the state and talk about Alabama. Who is uh, how, how many how many spots do we do we do we still have any spots officially open at this point, Matt, on the Alabama staff, or have they completed it? Yeah, so tight ends and special teams is that's right. Wait, which the one spot? So so yeah, right. But we're we're at this point most of the the gaps left behind when Steve Sarkeesian rated this coaching staff when he went to Texas uh, have been filled. John, you mentioned earlier um, that, that you thought that Saban's done a really good job of, of reloading this coaching staff. What are some of the highlights for you out of the new guys that have been hired? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll leave some of this presented so I don't steal all this, but I'll, let me just focus on Bill O'Brien. Um, so I think it's an easy one. I mean, again, this is a guy who was – a head coach this past season in the NFL, a guy who built his reputation as helping Tom Brady of the Patriots, uh, did a good job at Penn State as head coach before he went back to the NFL. I mean, he's just a a well-regarded coach. I think he's going to do a really good job as offensive coordinator. And so, you know, you lose Steve Sarkeesian, who was the nation's top assistant coach to Texas, and you think, wow, I mean, I, I myself wrote 
Sarkeesian was the best offensive coordinator that Nick Saban has had. And you think, man, what a tough guy to replace. And then he goes out and hires Bill O'Brien, who I think is, you know, probably has an even better reputation than Sarkeesian as an offensive coordinator. And so it, I think that's just a really, really strong hire and further shows what Saban has there, that guys want to come and learn and work for him because they know if they put in a good year or two, they're going to have even better job opportunities you know, going forward. Matt, you, you've certainly done a lot of reporting on, on this entire uh, coaching hire cycle, but you know, there, there are, I think there was a lot of focus put on the offensive coordinator spot and, and that hire, and it was a very high profile guy, but Let's talk about some of the position coaches uh, that were brought in because they're they're often very important guys and don't quite get as much recognition. They're not names that we hear as often, uh, you know, on TV broadcasts. T- t- tell us about some of those names and 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 what the general consensus is about those hires. Well, first of all, sorry for a noise in the background. So, so Miles, uh, my my nice son is homesick to today and is oh, sorry about that. Now, so in case you're you're anyone's wondering what the noise is in the background, that that's what's going on in the background. But as far as position coaches, you, you bring in Robert Gillespie. Obviously, the most recent one is as running back coach, uh, a former Florida running back who was a team captain there for their 2001 Orange Bowl team. He has worked in the SEC before, and um, even aside from anything from a recruiting standpoint, if you look at just what he did at North Carolina, had. Uh, two running backs this year who were all conference running backs. I don't know too many coaches around the country that, that could say that that same kind of thing had the first team running back and then uh, went one of the second team running backs to go along with that. And I, I think was also one of the the running back coaches to go along with Charles Huff, who's among the finalists for the, the football scoop running back coach of the year award. Uh, that I, I think their, their list came out yesterday, if I remember that correctly. So uh, a, a known guy, somebody who respected in the coaching world, and uh, say it seems like people should feel good about that hire to go along with that. Doug Marone, obviously a former NFL head coach, longstanding relationship with, with Bill O'Brien. I don't know if there's many other schools around the country, if any, who would be capable of getting somebody who's fresh removed from coaching an NFL team to, to come to college to be an offensive line coach. Obviously, that's a, a slam dunk t- type deal to get somebody like that in the building. The, those obviously the, the two most recent ones, and John already touched on uh, on Bill O'Brien to, to go along with that. Yeah, Gillespie's an interesting one because I, I don't think the average Alabama fan would know that name. But for for people who who kind of weren't paying attention to ACC football outside of of Clemson. Yeah. UNC was pretty good this year. They 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 were piling up yards on the ground. And Gillespie also just f- from looking him up after that hire was made, uh, looks like he he was kind of an ace recruiter at Tennessee for a little while and brought some really big names there as well. So not you know new names, but but really a lot of the same story at Alabama. A bunch of elite recruiters on this staff. And I saw, uh, you know, the other day, Football Scoop has kind of their like annual assistant coach awards. And so the, two of the guys that were nominated for uh, running back coach of the year, Charles Huff, who just left to be the Marshall head coach. And then one of the other ones was Robert Gillespie. So losing one of the best running backs coach in Huff and replacing it with Gillespie. Yeah, it's not not a bad not a bad uh, spot to, to fall to. So I, I, 
to to wrap things up for this week, guys, do we as we as we're sort of heading into February signing day, it's it's pretty quiet around most of college football at this point. Uh, but we're, we're and we're going to get into this a little bit more uh, as we head into the offseason on future episodes of First Down South. But it does it does really seem like we're not looking at any massive shifts in the in the landscape there, there there as you mentioned John there were some good hires but i don't know that any of the hires that we've seen right now have have sort of led to the type of earthquake that we sometimes see when there's a particularly big name hire um at a at a power program is that how how much of that is just that's how things worked out this time and how much of it is that those hires maybe are not going to happen as much anymore. They're not even possible as much anymore. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, if you look at the previous hiring cycle, we had a lot of that with Ole Miss hiring Lane Kiffin and then Mississippi State hiring Mike Leach. Uh, but if you look at, I think, the two hires that – I mean, I think Kiffin did a really good job too. Uh, but if you look at two of the hires that I think maybe did the best, you know, Arkansas, Sam Pittman, very under-the-radar guy, and then – Missouri with Drinkowitz, who, you know, I don't think anybody was blowing that away as the greatest hire. I mean, he had basically one year of experience, but did a really good job. So I think you're always seeing people learning from the experiences. I think South Carolina's hire reminds me a lot of the Sam Pittman hire for Arkansas. We'll see if it works out the same way. Uh, but, you know, I think that there is sometimes some shifting of what people want um, and, and don't want. Um, and I just think one of the key factors, I think, too, this year is that we haven't seen, you know, I think a lot of people thought there weren't going to be that many hires and fires this year because of the financial restrictions. That obviously didn't happen. There's been plenty. But I do think maybe there has been a little bit of reticence to be, I'm going to pay this guy seven, eight million dollars and pay a buyout and pay a buyout for his new contract. You know, you might have seen some people decide to go a little smaller this year. Uh, I think Shane Beamer is a great example of that is, you know, they're paying him three million dollars and not paying a guy six million because they're paying Muschamp's uh, buyout. So that I think that's a factor as well. Um, but, I mean, all it takes is one, really, right? And so if Tennessee goes out and hires James Franklin, our entire narrative here is over. So, I mean, that's it, it just all it takes is one or two big <laughs> hires, and it changes everything. That's right. All right. Well, we will, uh, we will see how things turn out. Dennis, you want to weigh in there? You're just going to nod at me. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, the, the the biggest thing that we need to leave people with is like we were talking about before coming onto the show, Matt Scalise's breakdown of WandaVision through through three episodes. So far. I think everyone came for today. And the fact that we've gotten through 31 minutes now without any sort of breakdown of that, there, there are probably going to be a lot of disappointed people. So I, I would throw in, if you could, like a quick 30-second breakdown, just your analysis, your feedback, your, your breakdown through three episodes of, of this show now. Listen, I... I, I... I don't want to be one of those guys who has fan theories, okay? Because number one, because I I don't want to ruin things for other people, and number two, because I don't want to get stuffed in a locker by Michael Casagrande on Twitter. Casagrande is just waiting to dump. It. Yes, but but no, I've enjoyed it. I I listen mostly. I'm just happy to have something new to watch. It, it, like the, I'm I'm the kind of guy that likes to have some new TV show or movie to look forward to. And it's and that's that's why I like Marvel stuff is because they make so much of it that I never run out of stuff to watch. So it's been a hard year 
for me, cooped up at home with no new movies to watch. And I'm, I'm just yeah. grateful to have something new every Friday to look forward to. Are, are you home? I thought you were making a point to watch the, the entire series with the, the Olsen family. I obviously, uh, one of the sisters, they're a prominent member of that show. Right. I thought that was your plan. Did, did plans get changed at all? This, this, is a, this is an absolutely bizarre scenario that Matt has cooked up here. So I, you go with, one of the absolute best college football reporters in the country and also one of the weirdest human beings when it comes to faith. <laughs> weird but lovable. That's right. I'll agree with that assessment. All right. Well, join us. Join us next week, everybody, for more weird but lovable banter with <laughs> Matt Zenitz and John Talty. And I'm Matt Scalisi. Thanks for watching First Down Second.